Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Injured at work in a motor vehicle accident or had a fall in a public space? Speak to Your Claim Lawyers, a no-win, no-fee, personal injury claims law firm that specialises in maximising compensation claims for injured people. Call 1-800-YOUR-CLAIM or yourclaimlawyers.com.au. To this is your sporting life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. And what a great pleasure it is to have your company for another edition of This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. And today we celebrate the life of a gentleman who has made his mark in the round ball code and is still making his mark as the coach or the manager, if you like, as uh, one of the big clubs in the competition, Melbourne Victory. Kevin Musket is his name and I'm delighted to have him in the studio. Kevin, welcome. Thank you very much. Thanks for the invite. A busy time for you, although last week you managed to have a week off, so you wouldn't have known yourself. What, yeah, what was yeah. going on there? It's been, um, it's actually been a long time uh, coming because uh, we were, the A-League now recognised an international uh, window, international weekend where all the international teams get to play. Um, it's something we've been lobbying for as, as, as a club and, uh, and coaches for quite some time, so it was uh, uh, nice to have the, the weekend off in relation to having all your players available uh, for the next game. And, uh, which is important not only to the to the club, but I think just as important for the uh, for the competition because generally the international players are you know up there with the better players in the competition, and uh, the public get to see uh, them more often rather than get to watch games where they're not available. It was the calm before the storm having a week off because yeah. tonight you play Sydney and there's always an edge to that. Every time yeah. you play Sydney, there's always an edge to it. Yeah, um, there always uh, has been and we've built a, a very good rivalry uh, against them and uh, that's been born out of, uh, we've, in the last few years, playing really important games against them. Uh, and, uh, you know, the last time we, we played them was a, a major semi-final, obviously, for a place uh, berth in the grand final was in Sydney um, and we, we beat him in extra time in that unbelievable game where mm. um, you know we conceded the goal with uh, 13 seconds on the clock and it was Terry Antonis who uh, inadvertently scored an own goal uh, and then went on to score the winner in extra time. So uh, it was a, a bitter uh, sweet and it was the first time actually in my career I've seen many players cry on the football pitch you know with uh, devastation and elation uh, but I've never seen a player do it twice. Yeah, he, was, <laughs> uh, he cried when we conceded the goal and he scored and he cried when we when he scored the winner. So it was uh, a moment that will go down in, uh, in our history as a, an unbelievable moment. Was it one of the more incredible games that you've ever been involved in? Because I remember yeah. watching that night and I just thought, who wrote the script for this? Yeah, you couldn't uh, you couldn't have wrote it uh, any better from our perspective, and uh, you consider as well that the two goals it was Stefan Negro, who uh, again he inadvertently scored an own goal. Uh, and then it was Terry Antonis scored an own goal um, uh, for us and uh, it was one of those nights we scored five goals uh, but two of them for the opposition so mm. yeah, it was a great night and I think it set us up really well um, you know for the final and considering prior to that you know we it was a while since we'd beaten Sydney you know they they had the uh, the wood over us uh, you know for a few games and you know always in reflection and reviewing the games thinking you know it's it's not a million miles away it's only a matter of inches here uh, and it proved to be the case in uh, the most important one in our in our recent history i mentioned in the introduction you're part of one of the biggest clubs arguably the biggest club who's bigger sydney fc or melbourne victory it j- just uh, depends on the definition doesn't it <laughs> uh, because it's a, it's a debate that uh, it goes round and you know I'd uh, I'd argue that it's difficult to answer unless you know uh, what we're measuring. Um, you know, is it trophies? Is it fans? Is it uh, is, is it uh, dollars in the bank? You know, what what is the measurements here? And uh, I think over a period of time, uh, you know, we've uh, uh, we pride ourselves on um, on being the first. You know, for a number of things, we always want to be the first to do the next thing. And uh, you know, in recent years, Sydney and ourselves have uh, dominated the the trophies. 
Um, I think we're about four apiece for the last, uh, you know, three, three or four years. Um, you know, if you're depends what side of the border you're from, I suppose, and there, there'll be arguments uh, from from one or two other clubs also uh, claiming that. But uh, the reality is, for me. Um, it's it's about what we do from here on in, what we do tomorrow and the next day. Rather than looking backwards, it's uh, it's possibly for the club and, and the fans to to have that debate, and I'm sure it'll go on for for many more years to come. Kevin, from a coach's or manager's point of view, we talked about the importance of the game and the passion mm. that goes into a Melbourne Sydney game. Yeah, do you need to? control your players' passion and aggression and, and make sure that they stick to the process rather than getting caught up in the emotion of the game? And it's uh, it's something that, uh, you know, can't be over overstated because, uh, um, you know, we've got a number of players that, uh, you know, are born in Sydney. We've had, you know, we've still got some players who've played for Sydney um, in, in the past as well. So it is important uh, and the, the focus or the refocus during these times about, uh, you know, what's important for the team. Um, because uh, any uh, individual success, um, you know, more times than not comes from team success. Um, so uh, as an individual, you've got to focus and, and, and make sure that you're focused as a group on what's important for the team during that week, during that game. And then when you dissect it even further, you know, in that moment, in the next moment, and moments keep appearing, it's, uh, you know, staying within uh, what's important to the team. Because, you know, as you said, it's not only, uh, you know, you've got family, if you're from Sydney in the crowd, and you haven't seen for a while that it's a bigger crowd than usual. Uh, if you're at home, there's a large number. The expectation grows. If you're away, you're in enemy, enemy territory. So there's a lot of things that uh, uh, go into it. And we work uh, uh, pretty hard on the mental side of the game because we think it's uh, uh, it's proved to be important over a period of time and it's, it's certainly going to be uh, even more important going forward. Sydney had their own marquee player going back a couple of seasons yep. ago with Alessandro Del Piero and he, he got a lot of publicity and rightly so so because he's a great of the game. Yeah. How's Keskay Honda settling into your organisation? Yeah, I think uh, immediately the, you know, if you... You go back to the initial conversations that I uh, had with him, uh, and immediately I could I could see a, an unbelievably uh, or hear an unbelievably driven person uh, in everything that he did. You know, we spoke not all about football, but his uh, his personal life, uh, his business life, and the the, the man was just incredibly um, driven. Um, and uh, in the end, uh, you know, speaking to him, it was you know one of the reasons, or you know, part of the reason of him coming here was that he sensed the same. Uh, you know, driving myself. Uh, you know, when I spoke about the club, you know, spoke with passion and uh, spoke with passion about what we're trying to do and you know how uh, you know how much we're driven for for success here. Um, and uh, and he hasn't proved me. Uh, he hasn't proved my thoughts wrong because you know he arrives. He's immediately out in the training pitch. He's you know one of the first to arrive. He's so diligent in what he does. It's uh, it's been a, a breath of fresh air to see someone who's achieved so much in the game. Uh, still wanting to achieve. You're in a position where you've got to tell him what to do because you're the yeah. manager. Yeah. Does it come back the other way? Does he make suggestions to you about the way that the team could be structured and the way that the team might play? And if so, do mm-hmm. you take that on board? It, it's, a, it's, it's a difficult situation. Well, not difficult. It, uh, first and foremost, uh, you know, again, it was part of the conversation that I had with Kesky. I've got a vision uh, about, you know, how, you know, what he could contribute to the team and how we were going to play. And the most important thing is that, uh, you know, he believes in that. Uh, yes, you know, he's come in and, you know, his belief's been unbelievably high and his performances uh, have shown that. Uh, there's no doubt uh, that... Uh you know, I speak to him and, you know, a few others that have been around the place and getting feedback. I don't live in the change room, so, you know, they're in the change rooms. They uh, see things that I don't. They hear things that I don't. And, uh, you know, I've had conversations uh, with him about football. He's very inquisitive about uh, I, I, talking to Kesko or anybody else. I think if, well, I don't think, I know that if things are clearer, Generally, it happens more often. You know, if Keske understands his role, if Carl Valeri understands his role, and the role is very clear, um, the the execution of it is a lot easier. It's not easy, but it's easier. Um, and I've had conversations, and he's an aspiring uh, coach as well. You know, so he asks me sometimes. You know, why do we do this? And he's so inquisitive to you know to gain knowledge and the thirst for uh, for success. For success, he's, he's unbelievable. He's away at the moment. Uh, he's, uh, he went away a couple of weeks ago with Cambodia. Uh, he's taken on some work there on a voluntary basis. 
you know, uh, with a, uh, a nation, an up-and-coming football nation, just wanting to give back to the game. So he's involving himself in a little bit of coaching as well, which is, uh, I suppose, brings a few more questions my way. By the sound of it, you never had any doubt about his determination to succeed no. because there has been the perception with some of the players who've come and played in the A-League that it's a bit of a superannuation policy at the back end of their careers, but that was never yeah. the case with him. I, I, you know, and uh, if you go through our history, uh, we've been uh, you know, reluctant you know, for the reasons that you've just mentioned with, uh, you know, big name players and the age of players. Uh, so there was a hell of a lot of due diligence done uh, from myself on, on Kesko. Uh, and there was nothing that come back that, uh, you know, filled me with any insecurity or doubt um, because of those reasons. And, you know, uh, and again, you know, he's brought that level of uh, com- competitiveness and, and competition to the team. Uh, you know, at training, uh, whatever it is, he just wants to win uh, and he's got that drive and, and he doesn't accept uh, uh, defeat lightly. You know, there's a full inquest if he loses a 5v5. You know, why did it happen? Who didn't track their run? There's a, there's a full inquest that could uh, last hours. So uh, he hasn't uh, uh, shown any of that uh, with us. And again, his performance is ultimately uh, what people see and that's the action that uh, go out in the park and I think we've all been you know, very impressed with his attitude. Just a little technical term. Do yep. you refer to yourself as a coach or a manager? Or you know, there's so many things. I think they call them a gaffer overseas. Don't yeah, they? it depends what part of the world you're from. We've got uh, you know Ola Toivonen, and he's uh, he was in England for a while, so he he calls me gaffer. Uh, some other players call you boss. Some other players call you by name. And I don't uh, demand to be called anything really. Uh, but uh, uh, there's more management that goes into the game than actual coaching. <laughs> uh, but for for some reason in 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 this part of the world we refer to them as coaches, but I'm, I'm happy either way. Well, on that subject, you've just formed a coaches union. Yes. Um, what was the main reason behind that? Was it to give the coaches a voice or was it to give them security in their position? A bit of both. Uh, a, a lot of both, actually. Um, the past, as uh, history has told us, that uh, and the contracts that uh, coaches have entered into uh, or contracts that haven't been honoured uh, by clubs, uh, the number was... Uh, you know, crazy. And it was just, uh, it was only a matter of time, you know, that the players have got a union. It's more so uh, that we've got some, the coaches have got some security and some legal representation because there's, there's 10 jobs in this country, 10 head coaching jobs, and then there's, uh, you know, assistant roles and goalkeeper coaches. Then under that, in every state, there's uh, many coaches and uh, and they need the support just as much as uh, the coaches in the A-League. But uh, over a period of time, uh, it will grow uh, and we'll get a, a lot more stability in in, con, in contracts being honoured both ways because uh, you know it's it's been uh, you know the other way as well where coaches haven't uh, done the right thing. So um, I think it's important that uh, uh, the coaches, when uh, they enter into an agreement, are, are respected in the right way. Speaking of the structures of the game, mm-hmm. Kevin. Um, do you think the A League's going down the right path at the moment? There's talk of the expansion clubs coming in. Is the league ready for that? Um, whether if we're ready right now um, for for the the, the next season, um, it's possibly getting to the point where it's going to be hard for the or very hard for the teams coming in, albeit the uh, preparing themselves and, and lobbying to to get these expansions. Only a matter of time. The, the competition does need it, um, and for me, uh, in the long run, uh, for the game to go to the next level, uh, the highest uh, level, we need uh, promotion and relegation. Also, difficulties arise with. All all these things, but uh, and uh, everybody—it's human nature to identify problems. Uh, it's not human nature to find solutions. Um, so you know, finding the solutions are a lot harder. But uh, for me, the, the quicker we get to, you know, twelve teams and fourteen teams, and then promotion and relegation, uh, the better for the competition. There's been a lot of talk that one of your old teams, South Melbourne, yep. might be uh, fielding a team. Would that be a bit of a, a pull for you? I know you're a Melbourne victory man through yeah, and through at the yeah. moment, but down the track, would it be a lure for you to maybe coach your old team? Yeah, I spent a, a, a great time at South Melbourne and got some really good memories. Uh, um, there's there's talk of other teams in Melbourne as well, and you know it was 13, 14 odd years ago when I was in uh, in Europe, and you know coming back to to Melbourne uh, was a big law. 
you know, coming back to the, you know the state that I grew up in and the state that the state and football that gave me so much was you know exciting, and that's why I decided to come to Melbourne Victory. What happens in the future? Um, who knows? Who knows? We'll talk about that early part of the journey and how it all began for Kevin Musket when we come back on the other side of the break. It is great to have the Socceroo, the Melbourne Victory coach, the manager, the gaffer here in the studio with me. More with Kevin Musket on the other side of the break on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. And what a pleasure it is to have Kevin Musket in the studio on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. Let's talk about the journey, Kev. Where did it all begin? It began in the old dart. You were born in England. Yeah. Um, parents, uh, mother, mum and dad are uh, Maltese and uh, moved across uh, uh, to the to England um, as uh, my sister was born there uh, before myself. And then uh, I was born in uh, a place called Crawley. You know, just outside London, Crawley, Sussex, and uh, immigrated. Uh, the family immigrated. Uh, you know, shortly after that, I think it was about you know four or five months old uh, when we come out and uh, started off in the well, lived in the western suburbs of Melbourne, uh, St Albans and, and Sunshine, and uh, they were my first uh, first two clubs. Actually, you know, I played for Green Gully, who was in the western suburbs, and uh, you know, teams of Maltese. Uh, I suppose background, uh, you know, back then all the the football clubs really were um, had some sort of uh, backing, whether it was uh, you know Greek, Croatian, Yugoslav, Maltese, and everybody tended to stick to their uh, communities and uh, moved from uh, Green Gully to another uh, a Maltese club in Sunshine George Cross, and you know that's where I was uh, handed my uh, National Soccer League debut. Just going back to Crawley for a moment, yeah. I think Harry Kuehl was there not that long ago. Yeah. Yeah, changing tact a little. He actually, yeah, he was, and uh, it was at the start. He took over last year, and uh, at the start of this year, uh, seemed to be getting things going uh, relatively well there. And uh, an opportunity come at a, in the same division, uh, but at a, a perceived bigger club that had bigger budgets, and obviously from the last you know couple of weeks, more expectation because he's uh, uh, fallen on his sword there. But I've no doubt that Harry's got uh, done enough in his uh, short tenure there that uh, he'll get more opportunities. You talked about the ethnicity of the mm-hmm. game when you first started. Yeah. It obviously provided a lot of passion around the sport, but... Yeah. In the eyes of a lot of people, it was something that was holding the sport back from developing the way it has now. There's there's two uh, schools of thought because uh, without doubt, you know, in the, in the mainstream uh, community, uh, you know, I have no doubt that it, uh, um, you know, had some uh, pull, I suppose, in, in holding it back. From the other perspective, it really gave, you know... Um, a lot of um, you know first generation, if you like, uh, you know Australians, uh, that community feeling uh, where they had somewhere to belong and belonged somewhere. And uh, um, if we look back, uh, history says that you know tells you that there was a number of players that have come through. Uh, that system at the elite level, at the top level for the National Soccer League, yeah, without doubt, I've no doubt in my mind that we're in a better place uh, right now with the A-League. Uh, but uh, it did produce, uh, you know, a hell of a lot of players in, in that from that community basis, if you like. So who was the person who identified that Kevin Musket had the talent to graduate from the National Soccer League to one of the biggest leagues in the world, if not the biggest league? Um, it was a... I had a... Um, a uh, pleasure, obviously, of representing the the national teams at uh, all the age groups at junior level. So, you know, we were always travelling um, overseas, and we were always travelling and playing against uh, other club sides and other nations. And but it was uh, uh, Dave Bassett, who was uh, the manager of Sheffield United, who came out on a uh, end of season trip, if you like, and uh, played against us when the under twenty three is the Olympic team. Uh, and it was through there. Um, that uh, that was the first recognition, and he kept tabs uh, on me, and eventually went out on trial to a few clubs, and you know went on trial to Sheffield United, where uh, Dave was, and uh, just about to sign my first professional contract, and uh, you know he got sacked. So uh, sort of at the start again, come back home, you know, uh, went to the Olympics, uh, went on a few more trials in the UK, uh, went to the Olympics in uh, Atlanta. 
And it was uh, after that that uh, Dave Bassett called us back. Uh, he was at uh, Crystal Palace at this time, and they just missed out on playoffs uh, to go up to the the Premier League. Um, and then I had one or two other opportunities offers in in Holland, uh, but ultimately his loyalty and the fact that he you know kept his eye on me, I thought it was the best uh, uh, best place for me to be. And, Again, went to Sheffield. You know, uh, went to Crystal Palace and played 44 out of the 46 league games in my first season, and and won promotion to the to the Premier League. So, I suppose there was some sort of justification in in my decision. Was it uh, a fulfilling contract monetary wise? Because obviously you wouldn't have been on much coin back here. Because yeah. in those days there wasn't a lot of cash in the game. Yeah. Did you have a look at the contract and say? Blimey, have a look at this. In the end, to, to be honest, the answer is no because, uh, you know, you go across there and, uh, you know, trying to make your mark and, and wanting the opportunity. Uh, it wasn't really a negotiation. It was, uh, you know, it took what I was given. Uh, and I've no doubt that I would have been uh, one of, if not the... Um, at least paid players in in that uh, in that team, but uh, that wasn't my motivation at the time. Uh, uh, what ended up happening over the the next season when we won promotion, uh, I was still on this contract from the the first year, and it was uh, a part of the reason that uh, I left in the January window of the league of the of that year in the in the Premier League. Uh, because then you know I got some runs in the board, and I went across to Wolves, where uh, you know. Uh, subsequently, you know, earned you know a lot more than I was earning on my first contract. But uh, you know, that that first contract wasn't uh, about money. It was me getting the opportunity and, and uh, you know showing what I could do. Did you enjoy the Wolves experience, given yeah. the fact that you had experience under your belt at that stage, and so you knew mm. a bit more about what you were getting into? Yeah, and the uh, and the fact that Wolves were a big club. I mean, Palace were in the Premier League when I left them, uh, but Wolves are a big club trying to get into the Premier League. It's a um, it's a club that's in the Midlands of England, where there's uh, you know Birmingham are up the road, uh, West Bromwich Albion, who are the nearest rivals, are you know divided by four or five miles. So there's a it's a big club, and you know to see them where they are now, it's justification of uh, you know what they were uh, like as a club back then. And I spent five years there, and you know played in playoffs, played in you know two FA Cup semi-finals just couldn't crack you know promotion to the Premier League or um, or you know winning one of those semi-finals in the FA Cup but I had a, a great time there a wonderful time there my uh, youngest uh, my eldest daughter Olivia was born there so it still you know holds a, uh, a place in our heart. You talk about passion there's no doubt that clubs like Wolves and Crystal Palace have the passion but <laughs> then you go to Rangers yeah. and then it goes up another level. Just yeah. tell us what mm. that is like, that, that passion, yeah. especially between Celtic and Rangers. Yeah, it's... it's I mean, you're trying... I've, I've tried to answer this question as... Uh, uh, with as much detail as possible, the reality is it's it's pretty hard to explain in words. Uh, there's 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 a football passion naturally, but it goes a lot deeper than that, and, and through to religion. Uh, and once you start getting to that point, it's uh, it's a fairly hostile uh, place to to play. Uh, you know, I loved living in Glasgow. I heard so much about uh, Glasgow prior to going there, and uh, there wasn't too much positive, you know, any feedback you got. But when I got there, I, I really loved it. I think. The fact that uh, I got to um, play with, uh, you know, my best mate, Craig Moore, he was already there um, and he'd been there for a number of years. Um, you know, that was another big draw card for me and I really enjoyed my, my time there. If anything, there's, you know, if I... I don't know if it's regrets the right word. It's probably a bit heavy, but uh, you know, I didn't really force myself into the team, and uh, and possibly didn't, um, you know, uh, play my best football. You know, I went there with a, a reputation of being hard and aggressive and you know maybe going there with the nature of their football uh you know maybe tried to change that too much and, and show everyone a different side of me and uh you know looking back at it now it's possibly wasn't the smartest thing to do and uh, um but I certainly enjoyed it we won the treble when I was there as well so it was one of the biggest seasons um you know in the club's history and uh, to see the fans and 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 you know what it meant to them to you know win the treble over their their arch rivals and no, naturally the celebrations were, you know, etched in my memory now, without doubt. What's the old firm 
derby game like? Is yeah. it just a game like no other? Yeah, it is. I was hoping you wouldn't ask because uh, <laughs> it's strange because I, I, I got myself in the team in the first season. I think I played the first nine games and we'd won nine games and you know scored a, a silly amount of goals. And then the old firm game came up and I remember being in the room with Craig Moore because we, we were at home uh, and we are in a hotel the night before the game and, and just about to go down for the team meeting and the phone rings and strange because no one no one used the room phone at, you know even in those days and and Craig answered the phone and he said uh, the, the gaffer wants you to go to his room he wants to have a chat with you and I thought I thought he was winding me up I thought this is a anyway I went up to the gaffer's room and he he proceeded to tell me that uh, I wasn't going to play uh, he's changed the team and his reasoning at the time Alec McLeish was that uh, he wanted to play the team that beat him in the cup final the year before. And I, I couldn't get my head around this. I think, you know, we've won the first nine games. I've played in, you know, all the games and all that sort of stuff. And now, you know, he's a superstitious manager. And, uh, you know, at that point there, I, I, I just sensed a lack of trust, you know, and uh, he didn't trust my maybe my temperament, you know, and, and that's fair enough. I, I could accept that if uh, he actually said it and, uh, and was honest. Uh, but uh, again, the next old firm, I managed to get myself back in the team, play three or four games, and uh, the phone rang again. And I said to Maury, I'm not going to his room. I said, because I'll end up throwing the TV at him because uh, he'll give me another excuse. So I just went on the bus and uh, uh, missed that game as well. So I didn't end up playing one. The, 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 the truth of the story, didn't end up playing one. And uh, that's life. Is that something that you've carried through to your coaching or managerial career, that you would never do something like that, that you would never act on a superstition rather than the best interest of the team, if you like? Well, I've no doubt that, uh, you know, he, in his decision, he thought that was the best interest of the team. That's not what, uh, you know, now, you know, there was that incident, there was another incident uh, where... Uh, you, you don't feel that you've been, uh, you know, spoken to honestly, and uh, that lingers more because uh, you know the truth. It's like a cut; it heals very quickly, you know. But uh, um, the the one where you're not being quite spoken to honestly, it lingers for a long time. And uh, you know, I try my hardest to, you know, when I'm speaking to the players now, to be as honest as I um, as I can um, every time, because uh, you know I found that players respect it more, regardless if it's you know good or bad news. You talked about that reputation you mm. carried with you as a, a hard player. <laughs> yeah. um, that's probably understating some of the criticism that was yeah. directed towards you. Do you reckon that criticism had a basis or do you reckon it was totally unfair? No, there was, there's, there's been a couple of things that have been uh, you know, blown well out of proportion. And the one that keeps popping up is I uh, uh, was voted the most hated player in the competition. That we, well, you know, I don't remember getting a vote. Uh, so there was clearly no vote, but it's portrayed and blown up. The comments were made after uh, a game, Wolves uh, v Birmingham, Stan Lazaridis and Aussie was with uh, Birmingham at the time and had a running battle with one of their players for quite a number of years. And, uh, you know, he came off second best in, in a few challenges and he came off second best in the result. And after the game subsequently makes these comments and uh, unfortunately have stuck around for years. Mm. And, uh, just funny though, because Stan had his uh, daughter, his first, born and they invited me to the christening so I've had to go to the christening and all these Birmingham teammates were there, these same guys there and I'm thinking this is going to be a good nice afternoon but uh, <laughs> it's like always you know you take everybody away from the heat of the battle and you know the uh, the field and you know it was uh, you know there was no issues at that event we had a few beers and moved on but in the heat of battle people do and say strange things. I spent a fair bit of time in the commentary box, Kevin, with a bloke called David Rhys-Jones, who's yeah. a great champion for Carlton. Lovely yeah. fella. Yeah. Chatted to him just as we're chatting. But he was one of the prime cases of white line fever. Yeah. He was a different bloke when he went on the footy field. Were you like that? Yeah, I'd say it was yeah, hugely different. Uh, hu- hugely different. I've not had any altercations or problems with anyone uh, off the field uh, throughout my career. Obviously, I've run into some trouble, and you know, admittedly now looking back, you know, regret and you know, hope or wish. Sorry, a few incidents didn't occur, um, but uh, I always, you know, played on the edge and uh, you know, pushed the envelope and looked for every advantage and every opportunity. And uh, within that, uh, I've obviously erred a few times. Um, and, uh, you know, do I 
that will look back and if I if I wasn't like that, would I have had the career that I had? Or if I wasn't like that, would I have been better or worse? And who knows? And I think you sp- you could spend too much time uh, taking all that into consideration. I know that uh, um, I enjoyed my playing career, um, and you know now that older and wiser, as I said, there's you know one or two incidents, uh, you know where you know players have been injured that uh, you know you regret and maybe wish didn't happen. Let's leave that aside and go to the last chapter of your time in England, Millwall. And you could have been on the famous stage yeah. at Wembley, yeah. but you weren't. What happened? Uh, maybe some would say karma. <laughs> but uh, it was actually it was uh, with Timmy, actually, because I went to... I still had three years left of my contract at uh, Rangers, and Rangers were trying to balance the books at this point now after winning that treble. And uh, on deadline day, it was his latest deadline day in, the, in England that, uh, you know, I flew down to... Uh, Millwall and agreed terms and obviously um, you know playing in the championship they knew what I was getting myself into the fact that it was uh, the World Cup window um, and I thought to myself okay well um, if I want to give myself a chance of going to that World Cup I've uh, you know I've got to be playing regularly and uh, you know the manager made it quite clear to me that uh, you know I'd have to fight for my place and game time was going to be uh, at a minimum so I decided to take that opportunity uh, in the end again had a eventful year and uh, it was a great year for us making the uh, the FA Cup uh, final and as I said I played in it a couple before that, the semi-finals and you know this semi-final at Old Trafford, uh, we beat Sunderland one uh, nil, and uh, you know I managed to get injured uh, on this occasion and uh, uh, missed the missed the FA Cup final and. You know, immediately after that, you know, when you think of, you know, the enormity of the FA Cup and, you know, watching, you know, in Australia here, there was the the one competition that was always on tally. So growing up with my dad and getting up late to watch the FA Cup final, the FA Cup games and, you know, everybody's coming over and then, you know, if we make the final, then I get injured. And I said to Wisey, Dennis Wise at the time, you know, I'd rather go home and start my rehab because I just... You know, couldn't stomach being around. Um, you know, when everybody's celebrating, and I just didn't want to get in the way and, and drag people down. But uh, he made sure that uh, you know what he said to me. He goes, mate, you'll lead the team out. And uh, you know, I've watched enough FA Cup finals. No, it's always the manager that leaves the team out. It's it's history. It's written into the history books. But uh, true to his word, in the tunnel, you know, I was on crutches, and the FA were up in arms because why? You, you can't let. You've got to lead the team out. And uh, right in the last moment, he pushed me out. And I don't think Alex Ferguson was too impressed because he didn't wait for me when I was on my crutches. He was uh, <laughs> he was almost sprinting off. But, uh, yeah, ended up enjoying the uh, the day. My daughter, uh, my youngest daughter, was there at the time, so there's some memories for her. And uh, it was a special occasion, but, uh, you know, United were too good for us on the night. At the time, did it feel like a special occasion, though? You're standing there on the hallowed turf of Wembley. They're playing the national yeah. anthem. They probably sang a bye yeah. with me. Yeah. You know, stirring moments, but... You're almost divorced from being part of it. Yeah, you were, and uh, we went to the that FA Cup. Uh, Wembley was being renovated, uh, or, or, or so the, car, the cup final was in Cardiff. Okay, so, uh, we went up uh, four or five days before the game, and you know, wisely there was three or four of us that were actually injured, and he made sure we were a part of it. And albeit, you, you know, you're putting on a brave face for the, the, your teammates, and it's more about them. It's their day now; they're playing. Uh, we tried to stay away and Wise said to us, right, you can have a few beers and do what you need to do, but, you know, make sure you're here for all the meetings and, and you're here for the uh, uh, the meal times. And it was okay, but uh, probably lubricated with a few beers, <laughs> eased, it, eased it through a little bit and then, you know, got home and uh, come home and started my rehab. I wasn't aware, obviously, that the FA Cup was played at Cardiff. Yeah. It reminded me of the um, grand final, the AFL grand final, that was yeah. played at Waverley Park. Okay. And a lot of the players who played in that said didn't feel like an AFL yeah. grand final. Did it feel like an FA Cup because it was at Cardiff and not Wembley? Well, you've, you've had to have played in both, you know, to really, com- um, um, I suppose, um, compare. You know, uh, I played in um, the old Wembley, uh, fortunately enough, in my first season where we went through, we played Sheffield United in the, in the playoff final. Uh, so I played at the old Wembley, uh, and that was an amazing day, just for the sheer history and you know the memory and that uh, you know being at uh, Wembley uh, was significant. Um, not being involved, you know, could I compare the atmosphere? Could I compare the game? And it's, it was totally different for me, and I think it was totally different for everyone, I suppose, because of that history.
There was plenty still to come on the big stage, but it was back at home. And when we come back on the other side of the break, we'll talk about some of those great moments you had with Melbourne Victory as a player, including that one incredible grand final where... If everything could ever go right in a sporting sense, it seemed to go right on that day. That's with Kevin Muscat on the other side of the break on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, Celebrating Lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals, Celebrating Lives. A real pleasure to have Kevin Muscat in the studio. Kev, we spoke about uh, coming back home and the lure of coming back home to be Melbourne Victory's inaugural captain. It was a big time for the A-League and it was, in a lot of ways, make or break for the sport here in Australia. I think so. Um, and uh, again, you know, I'd, uh, I'd had a year left on my contract at uh, Millwall um, and then had a number of meetings with uh, Frank Lowy and the, the, the guys who were, uh, you know, starting up the A-League, if you like, and just thought it was time. You know, I had a young uh, family. I'd had a, a son now also who was uh, born in Glasgow. Um, so I think it got to that time. I'd been away for 10 years and um, just thought, right, you know, there's an opportunity now to go back to Melbourne, as we discussed earlier, and, and, you know, Melbourne victory in this case, and thought we'd give it a go. And um, the first year, I think there was only eight teams, and we finished seventh, and the other team was from New Zealand that finished eighth. So we were effectively the worst team in Australia and start to doubt yourself, you know, and think, did we do the right thing? And then, you know, obviously, you know, since then the club's gone on from, you know, leaps and bounds and, uh, you know, couldn't have made a better decision really. Could you see the difference in the levels of professionalism from the old NSL to the new A-League instantaneously or did it take a little while to kick in? It, it took a, a, a little bit of time. You know, there was certainly a, a level of professionalism that uh, the NSL, the old NSL, uh, wasn't afforded. You know, there was staff members that were full time, and there was, uh, you know, play, all the players were professional and full time. So uh, I know a lot. Some NSL clubs, National League clubs, were, you know, did have players and full time. But as a, as an organisation, it was, uh, you know, a full time organisation. So, and if you remember as well, the crowds. You know, we started off at Olympic Park, and it was, uh, you know, I couldn't believe it when we, you know, having to put, you know, house full signs up at uh, Olympic Park. And uh, if you would have said to me that. Uh, you know, a purpose-built rectangular stadium was going to be built because of the success uh, of ourselves and the emergence of Melbourne Storm as well. Uh, if that was going to be built in my lifetime, I wouldn't have believed you. And uh, then to go to Etihad Stadium where the first game there was, you know, 50-odd thousand, mm. um, it set the benchmark pretty high. And I think as a club, we're, we're really proud of, uh, you know, as I said, creating a lot of firsts in the competition and, and looking for the next first. The first season might not have gone that well, yeah. but it didn't take long for the championships to come. Yeah. And you talked about Eddie Hatt Stadium, or yeah. I think it was Telstra Dome at yes, that time. Yes, mean, yeah. That perfect day. <laughs> yeah. Was it perfect? 6-0? It's... Uh... It is, uh, you know, now, you know, at the time I just thought, you know, a few decisions went our way and, uh, you know, we had, a, we had a good side. You know, we recruited, uh, Gary Cole recruited, uh, you know, really well in the off-season, got some more experience in the team. We were very young in the first year. Uh, and then, you know, looking now, you know, the way we prepare and I prepare teams, I, I eliminate luck. You know, because, you know, the ball bounces out and, oh, that's landed so-and-so. Well, was it luck or did he position himself there? So I'm eliminating eliminating luck a hell of a lot nowadays and working on details. And, you know, I remember that day that, you know, Fred was, you know, un- unplayable. You know, Archie scores five goals. You know, I think Fred uh, set up all five of them. Um, and uh, he's the unluckiest man. In the- I still speak to Fred. He was, uh, you know, such a good man. And every time we finish up, he goes, I can't believe I didn't win, man of the match that day. And I said, well, <laughs> if you set someone else up rather than Archie, you set yeah. the same bloke up five times. So it was a bit hard for them to, to go away from him, but uh, it's a little bit of a running joke for us. What was it like to play alongside Archie? He's been a guest on this program. Yeah. Lovely man. Great ambassador for his sport. Yeah, Archie was... Uh, and that, that was a thing with us. And, you know, Archie was complimented by... Uh, Danny Orsop, who we struck an unbelievable relationship with, and you know myself, Grant Bredner and Fred, you know struck up a, a good relationship in the midfield, and you know Roddy and Adrian Layer, and uh, we just had, I think, uh, some some real good individuals. But Archie was uh, at at this level, there was no one that could touch Archie for for a number of 
five years and uh, I was just grateful he was on uh, on my team because he was one of those that he was so hungry for goals and I remember Steve Bull who played for England many times you know he'd miss chances chance after chance and you know his attitude and he'd actually say you know I'll just work to get the next chance and Archie was exactly the same he just loved scoring goals because everything that come with it your team wins, you know, you get uh, team success, he gets individual success. But more than that, he just loved celebrating with the crowds and he just, you know, liked putting a smile on people's face. And he was infectious. Uh, so for a number of reasons, Archie loved scoring goals, not just for the pure goal-scoring reasons. There was many. There were multiple championships as a player. Was the 6-0 game the one that stands out or was there another moment that stands out for you? Oh, the next one. The next one, looking for the next one, wins the next one. That's yeah. the one that's going to stand out. And that's the only uh, thing that drives me. Yes, you know, it's nice to look back. And, uh, you know, when we played uh, Sydney um, in the in the 3-0 here at Amy Park. Um, and then, you know, but my focus is, uh, you know, purely on, you know, how we're going to win the next one. And, uh, you know, what are we going to do uh, as a football club and as a coach manager to, to win the next one and give some more joy uh, to not only the, uh, the chairman and the board, but, you know, most importantly to our fans and members. Inevitably, the body's going to slow down a bit after you've played as much football as you have. Did it really begin to take its toll towards the end? Was the pace of the game something that was troubling you? It was, uh, without doubt, and the game gets quicker. It's the only thing that doesn't slow up. Uh, It gets quicker, and there's different forms of pace now because, uh, you know, people can't uh, actually run any faster, but the way the game's played, you know, with transition, teams dropping off, making it quicker. So there's ways to speed the game up rather than individuals. Uh, In my last year, um, you know, I was... The coach at the time wanted me to, you know, go again. You know, I've made a, quite a few errors and late to a few tackles as well. But the biggest thing that uh, the body, in terms of injury, injuries, were fine. Uh, the mind once the mind starts thinking quicker than the body uh, it, it tells you it's you know it's enough and uh, that's what happened to me because you know I was thinking one thing and the body just couldn't react quick enough and uh, uh, that's you know when I said to myself well you know it's an injustice to everybody around me and uh, you know thought it was the right time to to give up so you say you were like to tackles, there are mm. obviously well, some, some were so as late to tackles right through. My career, yes, but, uh, <laughs> I, I was going to mention that, but but when the body is slowing down, you would mm. classify it more as yourself just slowing down a little bit and being late to tackles rather yeah. than the vitriolic nature that some people still had on you, and and perhaps mm. that was a hangover from what we spoke about before. No doubt that it was a hangover, but I know I, I know myself, uh, and obviously you know going into tackles and uh, thinking you know well, I can get to things or might have previously got to things and then you know all of a sudden you find a situation where you can't stop or you can't pull out and uh, um, you know that that occurred in that last season for me one too many times and uh, you know I just wasn't you know reasonably proud person as well and uh, just didn't sit right with me that I uh, couldn't give my teammates what they expected and more importantly you know I didn't live up to my own expectations. At the end of playing, was it always going to be coaching for you? Did you make some mental notes along the way that would take you down that path? Yeah, I, uh, I did. Uh, I wish I did a lot more. You know, I wish I'd uh, you know I had the pleasure of working some really good managers, um, but uh, and then trying to remember back things and and creating your own philosophy as well. And you know how I think the game should be played. I, I started doing my uh, coaching badges and licenses throughout that period of time in my in my off time. I'm a student of the game. I'm always watching football, uh, I wanted to be involved in some capacity and uh, initially I thought, well, there's nothing that's going to repeat or be as good as playing. You know, that's that's a given and I thought to myself, well, you know, what's the next best and the uh, next best for me would be you know, controlling a team, being in charge of a team and uh, and managing people. And that's why I decided to get into to coaching. Was it a frustrating time for you when the management changed a fair bit, but you were assistant coach, assistant coach yeah. for quite a while? Or did that actually, do you think, stand you in good stead for where you are now? I think it was a blessing for me because uh, um, that, uh, you know, fast forwarding to Ange coming, uh, Ange Postacoglu joining, that was... Uh, you know, it really opened my eyes up because my uh, perception of what coaching and management uh, uh, was uh, totally changed under him. Uh, you know, I'd seen him work 
you know, so many more hours uh, than than anyone else I'd seen. I'd seen the detail uh, that that he worked under. I'd seen, most importantly for me, uh, he come in and 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 uh, had to organise and reconstruct the team and the way it played from scratch. Um, and that was uh, a blessing for me to actually watch and be involved because uh, you know he certainly you know put me out of my comfort zone uh, quite a bit, which fast track I think my uh, my career. So Ange's gone from being Melbourne Victory coach to the national coach. Yep. Is that something you aspire to down the yeah, track? Without doubt, without doubt, I've not uh, I've not shied away away from that. I, um, you know, I tell the younger players in our team, you know, reach for the stars. You know, whatever that looks like to you, reach for the stars. And you know, if you fall somewhere short, you'll be you'll be satisfied. And I'm no different. To you know, I'd love to uh, uh, manage the national team one day. It was the you know, as a player, it's the uh, you know, most humbling experience and most satisfying experience representing your nation. So um, I'd love to do it as a as a coach as well, and and coach overseas at some point as well. So let's just see how it goes. I understand there's a process for all that to happen. You've got to be good at what you're doing now um, to be able to get those opportunities. So that's where all my focus is. How do you think your old mate and adversary, Graham Arnold, will go <laughs> in the top job? I think I'm interested. Uh, I'm interested to see how he goes. Obviously, he's had a few games now, and the, the defence of our uh, Asian Cup. You know, we won it here on home soil a few years ago. It's only weeks away now, the start of the Asian Cup. But uh, look, I've no doubt that uh, you know Graham's matured. Uh, uh, you know, a hell of a lot since he uh, had the reins many years ago. Um, his, his ideology and his philosophy on the game is uh, really visual now about how he wants his teams to play and uh, and getting the team to execute that. Uh, you know, we've seen firsthand with Sydney. So, uh, you know, I wish him well, and uh, you know, I think he's got the attributes to to make us successful. We're just about out of time. We'll take our final break. Uh, There is a couple of matters that I want to talk about. I want to talk to you about one bloke who is also a former guest on this program. And I still can't work out your relationship with him. Okay. John Cosmina is his name. We'll talk about that when we come back on the other side of the break. Kevin Musket is here. Our final segment on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral. Celebrating lives coming up after the break. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Our final segment in what's been a very enjoyable chat with Melbourne Victory coach Kevin Musket. Now, I flagged it before <laughs> we went to the break. I'll ask you the question that I asked Cozzy when he was on the show. And I think I phrased it something like, I can't really work out whether you're best mates or whether you want to kill each other. What's closer to the truth? Well, when we... when um when I'm playing against him, there's no doubt I wanted to kill him, without doubt. Uh, I'm pretty sure he would have said the same thing. Uh, have Cozzy have and I got an issue? Certainly haven't. Um, uh, you know, we've uh, met each other many times since uh, a couple of eventful uh, encounters we had, uh, uh, you know, the, the pushing off the chair and Cozzy grabbed me around the throat. Uh, I thought it was great theatre. Um, and Cozzy uh, got sent off and the picture of him walking away. I, till, till this day, I've had the conversation with him every time. I said, Cozzy, tell the truth. You held the ball underneath you and therefore I had to give you a nudge trying to get the ball back. He denies it and says, no, I was getting it to give it back to you. You pushed me. So we agree to disagree on that one. And uh, uh, But I, we haven't got an issue. And, uh, you know, Cozzy's a, a fierce competitor. And, uh, you know, I remember, uh, you know, remotely, you know, the, the back end of his career, he, he was an unbelievable competitor and, uh, you know, didn't take a backward step. And his management style was, was exactly the same. And it was a lot, there was a lot of rivalry for, with Adelaide, you know, South Australia and Victoria that stemmed from, you know, other codes. Uh, and Cozzy and I, I suppose, were just the two at the time that uh, were used to, to build up this rivalry in our code. And uh, he lived up to it and so did I. And uh, there was a few fireworks, but uh, certainly hasn't uh, got any issues with uh, with John. All right. If your relationship is good with... I hope he, had the same, he said the uh, same he thing. He did, yes. <laughs> it was very much almost word for word what uh, you just said. So I don't know whether you're reading from the same script or yeah. not. Uh, one relationship that is under the microscope at the moment is that between yourself and Ernie Merrick. Yeah. I'll ask you, where does it sit? Well, the reality is, I mean, the, um, we've not fallen out. Uh, we've not spoken to each other. Um, you know, uh, uh, there was contact when, when Ernie left the, the football club uh, and there really hasn't been a falling out. And falling out and there hasn't, there's not a relationship. 
Uh, and again, you know, I thought, you know, in the last couple of uh, occasions, you know, we've performed really well against them. And then, you know, it's not the it's not the football that gets spoken about. It's you know the relationship once again. And um, maybe it's you know. I don't know, call me, you know, whatever you want. I just don't think why. I can't understand why it's made, you know, a big deal when it uh, when it shouldn't. Yes, we've enjoyed some good times. It's all in the past um, together and uh, we had some really good times uh, as a group. Just Ernie, as he said, he, he moved on um, and the relationship stayed as it is. Let's push that one aside. I want you to compare. What's it like? What's What's better? Winning a championship as a player or winning... Yeah. As a coach, what's more satisfying? Uh, when uh, when you're a player, um, you know when I played, it was you know celebration with uh, with your peers, and you know you put in a lot of hard work. The satisfaction that I got uh, winning the first championship as a coach was far greater for me because uh, I recognised you know you're in the you're in your own bubble when you when you're a player and you can't wait to you know what where we going tonight you know what's happening during the week it's all about you and the group whereas as a as a coach you know seeing what the board you know the levels that they win the chairman you know Anthony DiPietro and, and his board seeing the staff throughout the week and pre-season you know selling memberships and and working closely with them and uh, and I realized one thing that was to- totally you know new to me it meant just as much to everyone else in the club that it did to the players where when I was a player I, I didn't recognise that at all uh, you just caught up in things but just to sit back and uh, and see you know the amount of work everybody else has put in uh, not only the playing group not only the football staff but I mean everybody uh, and what it meant to them you know really for me uh, gave me a, a hugely uh, greater satisfaction uh, winning it as a as a coach. Final note, Kevin. Um, we've mm. talked a lot about your achievements and the, the many great achievements that you've had both as a player and a coach. And we've also talked about the reputation that you have. Mm-hmm. As you look back on your career, do you care what people think? Look, I was... Uh, now that my kids are getting a little bit older and uh, there's just a sense of, as I said earlier, there's a few incidents that uh, you know I, I wish didn't happen. You know, and uh, you can't take uh, you can't take it back. You know what you can do is own it and uh, and respect that. And, and as I said, wish that they didn't occur. I'll stand by one thing though. That uh, you know, if I was in a, a team, you know, I didn't go to to work or training or play a game to make friends. I went to win football games, and uh, um, if uh, you know, I can walk back to into any of the clubs that I've played for, uh, and I'll be welcomed with uh, with open arms. Because as far as I'm concerned, I wasn't there to impress uh, any other club, any other players. I was there to uh, be loyal to my football club and and uh, be respected by my peers in in my club. And you know, I still stand by that now. Uh, but there's an element of you know. Uh, things will stick, you know, uh, from from my playing days, and that's something I can't change, and uh, uh, that's that's part of it. I'm just going to have to live with it, and uh, I certainly enjoyed that time. But uh, now, I suppose the kids are growing up, and uh, it's a totally new challenge uh, for me in, in my in my stage of life. It's been brilliant to sit down with you and discuss all of those things. I appreciate your honesty over the last hour or so, but let's not lose sight of the fact that it was a brilliant career, both uh, as far as playing and the management side of things. One last supplementary question. As I said, you're playing Sydney tonight. Yep. Which game do you want to win more now? Do you want to beat Sydney more or do you want to beat City more? Because we're playing Sydney tonight, it's an easy question. (laughs) Sydney. Good luck. Thanks very much. Cheers, Pete. It's great to have Kevin Muscat as my guest on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. Hope you enjoyed it. And we'll be back same time next week with another edition of the program. Hope you can join us then. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au. Predict Australia's score with a crystal ball. And it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals. All thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply.